Sure. So my name is Julia McMenamin. I live in London, Ontario, Canada. I'm currently a PhD candidate at the University of Western Ontario, otherwise known as Western University. So to me, qualitative research is a method of exploring and interpreting rich data from different sources like interviews or focus groups, or even sometimes archival documents um, in text form or other artifacts that we might not want to or even be able to analyze numerically. Hi, my name is uh, Dr. Jennifer Pickett. I live in Brussels, Belgium, and I am a postdoc researcher and work in organizational psychology at uh, Vrij University Brussels, and that's the Dutch-speaking free university um, in Belgium. To me, qualitative research is meeting the participant in their world. Um, so, for example, I think um, quantitative research is when you invite the participant into your world by giving them a survey or something like that. But I think qualitative is is a little bit almost the opposite, where you can step into um, to someone else's world, someone else's experiences, and and really get a really rich description of of the way they view the world and their experiences. My name is Deborah Diaz Renato. I live in Richmond, Virginia. I'm an associate professor at Virginia Commonwealth University in the School of Medicine. To me, uh, qualitative research is uh, discovery. That's uh, unpacking something beyond what can be uh, gleaned from quantitative research. I'm uh, Dr. Scott Davies. I'm the CEO of Point Leader Predictive Analytics Incorporated, located in Newport Ritchie, Florida, which is right north of Tampa Bay. To me, qualitative research is applying research to words, text, instead of numbers. It's starting with the text, the words that come from interviews, transcripts, wherever the written or spoken uh, word is found, and using that information to do research. And sometimes it involves uh, capturing the zeitgeist of the thing, right? So that you better understand the total situation in which you don't go about counting the numbers of words or applying numbers to them. You apply your mind to it and gain an understanding of the situation, the person's situation, uh, the, the, the concepts of interest. I think qualitative research, maybe there's some variation in how different people perceive it within the IO psychology field. Um, I certainly think that IO psychology has a real emphasis on quantitative research and you know numerical data as as backing up our practices and our theories and recommendations for organizations. So I think qualitative research maybe um, definitely doesn't get the same uh, amount of attention within the field of IO that quantitative research gets, and and I think that's reasonable just because of the the wealth of quantitative research that we have in our field. But I think maybe the perceptions are changing and, and maybe more and more people within the field of I.O. are starting to see the value in maybe incorporating some more qualitative research into sort of broader programs of, of research because it has some, some different value and some different applications that maybe don't apply to quantitative research itself. So I think maybe it might be changing. 
I think qualitative research is underappreciated in our field a little bit. However, hopefully that is changing. I, I think both, um, of course, both areas of research have their values for sure, but I am biased towards qualitative research because that's the research line that I prefer to conduct. Um, mostly because I can get really rich data and from just, I can just find out so much more, I think, about a, a certain topic. Also, too, I think that it is, of course, more, more time consuming with the, the transcriptions and, and everything. But on the other hand, I think the data sets can be reused um, for different studies. And I think that that's something that is a mindset we haven't quite gotten to yet, because normally with quantitative data, you use it once and that's kind of it. And, you know, it's very rare that you would use it again. But I think with qualitative data, if you look at, you know, a different topic through a different lens or something, it's perfectly acceptable to use the same data. And, and that makes it, uh, you know, less time consuming, I suppose, or more efficient anyhow. I think qualitative research in our field, IO psychology, is, I think it's changed. When I was trained, I wasn't trained in qualitative research. I don't know that it was at all talked about or discussed. Uh, but when I came into the, my role as a, a faculty member, assistant professor at VCU several years ago, many years ago, uh, it's something that I was very drawn to. I don't know that it had a positive perception from our, in our field, but I do think that it's gaining appreciation. I think our field is understanding that there is rigor to qualitative research. And I mean, some of my favorite papers uh, from uh, esteemed researchers in our discipline are qualitative in nature. Having those publications um, has also helped to make it clear that qualitative research has a place in higher psychology. I think in the field of biopsychology, qualitative researchers have been ignored for way too long. I don't know if you remember a few years ago, there was a group of folks who tried to start a qualitative research group within PSYOP, and it died away fairly quickly. I don't. I haven't looked lately if they're doing it again or not. But I, I was a member of that group. This was probably 15 years ago. I don't know, it's been a while. We just couldn't really get much interest at all. Everyone looked at us and thought, well, all you have to do is count those words, and, and then you'll have numbers that you can use. And they missed the whole point about, well, no, you 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 need to be able to understand from a focus group what the people are really thinking. And there's nothing there to count, right? There there's no numbers involved. It, it's the whole zeitgeist idea, right? What's the whole of the thing? What, what What is it that's going on here? The power of persuading those people, of understanding their issues, and then using that, I, I think is sorely lacking in IO psychology. And I don't I think part of it is because we tend to attract a lot of quantitatively based people into IO psychology. They don't tend to be that interested in qualitative things, or maybe they just don't have that in them, perhaps. So far, the, the kinds of qualitative research I've done have, have been interview studies, um, so one-on-one -on -one interviews with individuals. So the first one I was involved in had to do with interviewing new users of uh, sort of a beta version of an AI product being introduced to organizations by a startup company. So those were just one-on-one -on -one interviews with people about their reactions to using the product and about sort of the broader issue of incorporating AI tools into their workplace in general. Interview studies like that involve 
doing some background research, coming up with some potential ideas that you might want to explore in these interviews, maybe some preliminary research questions, and then distilling that down into sort of a basic interview guide with some interview questions to start out with. Over time, as you do some interviews, you can sort of alter those questions, add new questions based on things that come up sort of go on organically from there. When you have those interviews conducted and you, and you feel like you sort of reached a saturation point in terms of learning new things from interviewing more participants, of course, there's a transcription process you have to go through, whether you transcribe yourself or, or have a service to help you with that or some type of technological tool. And then you get into the interpreting of those findings and coming up with themes and, and, and so on for insights that you can sort of glean from that to carry forward into maybe a next stage of research or simply in reporting what you've learned from that qualitative data that you've uncovered in those interviews with people. Yeah, so some of the methods that I use are, um, I don't think it's a very common method, it's uh, interpretive phenomenological analysis or IPA for short, and that is kind of based on a set of very in-depth research questions. Uh, there's a guide that looks at um, flushing out more of the participants' experiences. There's, for example, you ask questions about narrative, you ask comparison questions, and um, things like, like that. So you're sort of asking questions to get different angles of their experience, I guess. So you know, some, of the, some of the methods that I've used previously in terms of qualitative research design, I've used uh, you know, case study. I did a research um, study several years ago, really looking at different types of teams within healthcare, getting a, a deeper understanding of that team and how they, how they work and, and interacted with the patients and with themselves. Um, I've done uh, grounded theory work, so really examining certain phenomena that don't quite have well-developed theories, and it's uh, something of interest to then ideally conduct an expected study or, or follow up with a, a quantitative study. Um, and also phenomenology uh, research, so really examining lived experiences and, and situations and understanding subjectivity from different perspectives or, or individuals in different contexts. The qualitative method that is most used and cited in IO psychology, which is the critical incident technique that John Flanagan used uh, when he started AIR. The critical incident approach is a qualitative approach in that you spend a whole bunch of time in a structured manner, gathering critical incidents from people and interviewing them. And then you take all of that and there is a very precise manner in which you apply numbers to it and come out with a, a job analysis and you use it to build bars, scales, and, and all of this stuff. And I think that it, it's the example that most IO psychologists have in their head if they know anything about qualitative research that is what they use. Qualitative research allows you to ask research questions that are still evolving in your own mind compared to 
quantitative research methods. So you might have some general research questions that have come to mind after maybe doing a review of the literature or talking to people in a certain field sort of casually. You might have some ideas about things you want to explore. And the great thing about doing qualitative research is you can sort of continue that process of looking for information, maybe in a bit more systematic way, but still with that flexibility that comes from maybe doing an interview with people and seeing what kinds of answers they give you to your preliminary questions and then following those leads sort of in real time and thinking, oh, what, what else can I actually drill down and learn from this person based on this, this one answer they gave me? Um, it, it allows you to sort of alter and change those questions and update them during the study as opposed to maybe having to take a survey back, redesign it, reincorporate new things and, and launch a new study. It really gives you that opportunity to explore questions that maybe aren't fully formed yet. For me, it's more the population that you want to know about. For example, I'm looking at um, human performance in extreme environments. And my one research is I'm looking at person who has survived a boat sinking in, in Alaska, he's a commercial fisherman, and, and then four days in a life raft in the Bering Sea in winter, no survival equipment, um, and all the crew survived. And, and what I'm finding is, is obviously it's a very rich story and it's a very in-depth interview that, that, we have, that we have done and stuff that he has told me that I couldn't even think to ask. I guess that's, those are the questions that qualitative research answers are the questions that you don't even know to ask because in him describing, you know, just the, the situation and the environment and what he did and didn't do and what he thought and felt and, and all, those, all those things, I'm, I'm learning so much more about, gosh, there's so many different areas of psychology that have been touched on there, not just um, IO psychology because, you know, he was at work, but also positive psychology and survival psychology and you know he has bringing in aspects of, of both and if I had just created a survey and, and asked you know the, the five ten questions I could have thought of off the top of my head of what I think it would be like to be in a life raft <laughs> for four days in the winter in the Bering Sea I, I would it would only be the tip of the iceberg uh, pun intended I guess um, of, of what I've learned by flipping it around and letting the participant tell me what it was like. I mean, I think related to the types of questions that you can answer with qualitative or quantitative, qualitative, I think, allows you to gain a deeper knowledge, to really understand context and the influence of how humans behave. I think quantitative can really focus in on more specific questions, whereas qualitative questions, I believe, are, are broader, but broader because there's more information to gather in order to make sense of, of what's happening. So where qualitative can help with quantitative, I, I believe that my dissertation is a good example of that. I was reading the literature on emotional intelligence 20 years ago. The measures were not reliable, and, and so Bob Billings talked me into doing something on emotional labor, and he said at least it's something that we could see is behavior-based, right? But, but there wasn't a whole lot of research at the time. There was uh, Hosschild's book, The Managed Heart, which was totally qualitative. She hadn't done any quantitative work at all on emotional labor. And, and, and that's where 
it's not what's inside the person that helps them portray the emotion that they should. It is very much what is visible that a person uh, exhibits the emotions that, or 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 doesn't exhibit the emotions that are appropriate for the situation. It, it's what the Walt Disney employee does when they walk you through the gate. Even if they don't feel well that day, they are going to smile and attempt to elicit a smile out of you. And that's emotional labor. And yes, some people are good at it, some people aren't, but there wasn't anything quantitative at the time on emotional labor. So the first thing I did was start talking to people who do emotional labor, like grad students who were teaching, who were having to graduate teaching assistant who has a class of freshmen, undergrads, and, and they're trying to interest them in, in psychology, they are doing emotional labor. They, they are smiling when they should, they're frowning when they should, they're disciplining the class when they should. Even if they think that the person who did something stupid was funny, that as a teacher, they can't show that. They, they have to manage the emotions of themselves and the others, even when they don't, there's dissonance there. And, and I just let them talk about that. It, it was really useful for my understanding of what it was, both the predictors, the emotional intelligence side and the behavioral performance side of emotional labor. And from that, I started putting together, I, I wrote it all down, right? I, I, I took serious notes of it all and, and I would come back to them and, and tell them, well, this is what I think I hear you saying and get them to talk more. And then we would have focus groups once I had some idea of what to even talk to the focus groups about, decide on whether or not this was a good construct to include. Is this a dimension of emotional labor or not? And from that, we came up with questions to use as a performance measure of emotional labor. And then we went back to them and talked to them again, and then ended up with interviews uh, with the original group and, and I told them what I had found with my data and after the survey and everything and what the results were. And we talked through that more. And I think that that is what we need to do more of. What I would recommend um, to an IO psychology student or an IO psychologist looking to get into qualitative research, you definitely need to fill in any gaps in your knowledge um, about what qualitative research is and, and what the tools are and, and how to best use them. Chances are, as an IO psychologist or a student, you've had a lot of training in quantitative methods and statistical analysis and probably not a lot of training in the qualitative methods. So definitely I recommend finding that knowledge any way you can. If you can find a mentor, that's fantastic. If you can't, maybe you can sign up for a course, whether it's in person or online. Um, definitely find yourself some good resources like textbooks on the, on the subject, just to get yourself a bit more up to speed so you feel more comfortable designing a qualitative study. And then I think it's good to just get out there and do it. If you've ever done an interview study, I think you know that it's, it's definitely a skill that you have to build. And I don't think anyone is great at it to start with. And the only way you're going to get great at it is by getting out there and doing it. So don't be afraid to design a study and take a stab at it. And you'll probably be hooked. The advice I would give to a student who wanted to start doing qualitative 
research would be do a little bit of reading and read a few articles, I think, that are qualitatively done. The next step would be to practice a little bit with, with your friends, maybe, to build a, build rapport, just work on your interview skills and build rapport uh, with, with the participant, because I think that's the hardest thing, is that just because you have these burning questions to ask doesn't mean that the participant feels comfortable telling them to you. So, you know, I, I think that's one step missed sometimes. And then just keep practicing. And, and like anything, it will get easier and it will get better. And with, with time, just keep keep at it. Well, my, my advice for those who want to start in qualitative research is to definitely do it. Um, I think it, it helps us. It, you know, I, uh, early on in, in grad school, uh, one of my advisors, Bob Pritchard, gave me this advice of if you ever have the opportunity of observing a workplace, whether it be um, you know, a manu manufacturing plant to the C-suite of Google, if you will, um, take that opportunity because it allows you a sneak peek into different contexts of work. People are interested in doing the qualitative research, diving in, um, being you know, the, the lifelong learners that we are in the field and, and dive into the textbooks and the research on how to do it and actually start doing it because it's fascinating to hear from people, their experiences, their description of some of the IO, um, IO psychology terms and constructs and theories and phenomena. Interesting to hear it from their words rather than hear it from the theorists that have, have developed measures and developed theories. I would add that if, if it's you know, a graduate student interested in this method and, and it requires them to convince and or make the case to an advisor about it, it's well worth the time to build that argument and to request it in the edu in you know in that person's education because it um, isn't already in IO psych programs. I highly would uh, recommend that it be. And I think you know the the students out there that are that can help drive educational program will take them. Um, I think it's well served for students to kind of take that take that initiative to make the case to advisors and professors and say this is this would be interesting to study also from a qualitative research lens helping a faculty member develop their skills as well i think that what an io psychologist should do who wants to do qualitative research if they have the time is to go enroll in a program evaluation class, sit through it and listen to what it is these people are trying to figure out and understand that, well, the only way you're going to find out is to go sit and listen to people. <laughs> that, that these research questions that they have been assigned, right? So, so they get some contract that has to have a program. And, and there's all kinds of program evaluators out there. There's program evaluations going on all of the time. GSA requires it for like every uh, government contract. So there, there, there's no uh, dearth of program evaluators or or courses that you can take in a local community college or whatever, and 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 listen to those people, and and, and you'll be confused at first because you'll say, well, there's just no way on earth you're going to find that out. <laughs> that, that that's unanswerable, right? And but they have to do it. They 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 have to find out what the impact of one thing is on another, and it opens your mind up to the possibilities of how you go about doing qualitative research or go to some place like I went, a 
a grad school class on qualitative research where there's a good professor who is a real qualitative researcher and not just some quant person who's trying to tell you how to put numbers to words. Maybe that there's some pushback from people in I.O. that maybe they don't see the value in, in qualitative research as part of I.O. And I think that that comes from the fact that I.O. was really built on this idea that we need to use quantitative data to support organizations in making evidence-based decisions. And, and I think that that's fantastic and that's how it should be. But I think I.O. really also was originally built on this idea of understanding the experiences of the worker as well. And I think that the only way you're going to have a deep understanding of individuals and workers in different situations is by actually talking to them in a way in which they have control over what kinds of information you can glean from them. And, and they can sort of lead you in different directions that you might not have gone if you hadn't actually interact, interacted with them on a one-on-one -on -one basis like that. I would like to see qualitative research become much more um, accepted <laughs> um, because I, I think it's really a shame, especially in, in, you know, journals that have limited work count or something that, you know, a third of it is just defending the fact that you've done qualitative research, you know, and defending your methods, whereas that could have um, been, you know, space given towards the, the results, you know, which are usually so colorful um, or the quotes that you've you know, gleaned from people. Thinking about qualitative research in that it isn't only interviews, uh, it isn't only observational and kind of imagine uh, you know, the Hawthorne studies where people were observed. Um, it's There's so many layers and so many approaches that one can take with qualitative research, and but also understanding that there is rigor to it. But if I'm interested enough in it that I want to spend the time doing it, then it seems rather selfish, but it, it, that's what's really required is the researcher becomes the research tool, right? And the data collection uh, piece, the, 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 the survey, and you're, you're building up your own knowledge base, you're learning.